Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 72 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question is all about monsters. What kind of creatures were Leviathan and Behemoth from Job 40 and 41? So hello and welcome into the show. Scary times out there, right? The world is shaking right now in fear of the unknown and in fear of the known. Uh, Remember, brothers and sisters, we have a message of hope and salvation in Jesus. Remember that we also represent a Savior, Jesus, who is the hope for the whole world. We're not guaranteed as Christians to be protected from the illness going around, but all who are in Christ are guaranteed eternal life in heaven and a wonderful inheritance, not by anything good we've done, but by the wonderful thing he's done for us. So look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus and be encouraged. Look to Jesus and be filled with hope. Look to Jesus and believe. So how do we live in the midst of a deadly pandemic going around. I want to encourage you to turn to the Word of God on a daily basis, and I want to encourage you to to invite others to join you. The thing about it is, people are all scared right now. This is the time for the body of Christ to shine as brightly as we possibly can in the power of Jesus into a world that is really struggling. This is not the time to hunker down and hide. I mean, take every precaution, wash your hands, you know, maintain social distance. I'm not talking about not taking practical measures, but I am talking about radiating the message of Jesus and being in his word, because we're going to need to cling to hope right now. And we do that through being in the word of God and maintaining a relationship with God by abiding in him in prayer and worship. We will receive wisdom from the Lord on every page of the word of God on how to be the people of God in the midst of fiery trials and tribulations, not just the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic, but every fiery trial and tribulation that we come across. For instance, just for the scriptures today, and this wasn't planned. I just picked out a few uh, scriptures today that might slightly speak to the situation. Exodus 23.10 says, you must not spread a false report. Well, that's a good plan. We don't need to be putting uh, stuff out there on social media that is not correct. Uh, Either positive stuff that's not correct or negative stuff that's not correct. Uh, Things that uh, assuage fears with the lack of truth, that's a lie. And things that stir up panic unnecessarily. We don't want to spread any false report. Exodus 23.9, you must not oppress a resident alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be a resident alien because you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. I just heard today from uh, my son that a friend of his who is from one of the main coronavirus countries where it started is being sort of low-key bullied by kids here in California because of his nationality. Well, no, we're not allowed as Christians. Not only is that a horrible thing to do, but it's absolutely forbidden all throughout the Bible. We can't do that. You must not oppress an alien, a foreigner, a sojourner among you. What about John 2, 18 through 22? The Jews replied to Jesus, what sign will you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus 
Jesus had made. Now, what does that say about the coronavirus? Well, nothing. But what does it say about hope in the midst of death? Everything. So the biggest fear of the coronavirus is it scares us. It scares us because we're mortal. But this reminds us that Jesus overcame death. And in him, if we look to him in faith believing, we can overcome death too. Finally, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27 Paul says, Five times I received forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and without clothing. And he goes on and on and on. What's the point? The point is Christ has sustained him through all of that, and he can also sustain us. The point is also that following Christ is not going to insulate us from sickness and suffering. Well, it didn't Paul, it didn't Jesus, and it's not going to us, but God is still faithful, and we can take comfort from that. He will be with us. All these verses and all the others we can read, they'll provide wisdom for us and encouragement for us, and they'll point us to hope in Jesus. As we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, May we fear no evil as God and his word is with us. Now, today's topic planned out a few days ago is all about monsters in the Bible, which is a book I actually wrote. It's available on Amazon if you're interested in that sort of thing. It's only 99 cents, and that's about how much it's worth. It's not my best book. If you really, really like this stuff, you could read my book on angels and ghosts, uh, which is a much longer and slightly more expensive book, but it's got a lot more of this kind of stuff in it. But today we're talking about Leviathan and Behemoth. Now, these are creatures that God himself describes in the book of Job. And they're very, very puzzling creatures indeed. For hundreds of years, people have tried to determine what exactly is Leviathan, what is Behemoth. So let's start with Behemoth. From our reading yesterday, this is Job 40, 15 through 24, God says, Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like cattle. Look at the strength of his back and the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. His bones are bronze tubes. His limbs are like iron rods. He is the foremost of God's works. Only his maker can draw the sword against him. The hills yield food for him while all sorts of wild animals play there. He lies under the lotus plants, hiding in the protection of marshy reeds. Lotus plants cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Though the river rages, Behemoth is unafraid. He remains confident even if the Jordan surges up to his mouth. Can anyone capture him while he looks on or pierce his nose with snares? So, (laughs) what's that? We got some clues here. He eats grass, uh, you know, and not people, which is nice. He has a strong back and powerful tail and powerful abdomen. He sounds big. He has strong legs. Lives around a swampy-like area, probably near a river or even in a river. He's difficult to capture, and he can survive in rapids. So, what are we talking about here? The Hebrew word is behemoth, and there's lots of theories about what is meant exactly by that word. When you study the etymology of the word, it's not very helpful because the root word simply means an untalking 
or a mute beast, which, you know, most beasts don't talk. So that doesn't really help us very much. Context is not helpful because the Hebrew word is a practical hapax legomena in the Bible. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Old Testament, but this portion of Job. Some people think it's a dinosaur that is being referred to. Certainly possible. Others point to a creature like a hippopotamus. Now, you might think a hippo is cuddly and cute and kind of plump and pleasant, and it doesn't fit the mighty description of the behemoth at all. But here's the thing about hippos, if you never studied them out a little bit, they're really, really dangerous animals. They weigh from somewhere between 3,000 to 9,000 pounds. Now, if you're wondering how big that is, that's bigger than me. It's bigger than your mom. A Toyota Camry, for instance, weighs only 3,400 pounds. So a hippo can weigh somewhere close to three times the weight of that Camry you're driving around in right now. They are capable of running at near 19 miles an hour. That's not Olympic sprinter speed, but it's probably a hair faster than me. Hippos kill each year today between 500 to a few thousand people every year. They also have teeth that can be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 inches long. Now, the only problem with the hippo behemoth theory is explained here by the website gotquestions.org, and they say some commentators identify the behemoth as a hippopotamus, a rhinoceros, or an elephant. However, the description of its cedar-like tail hardly fits the stubby or rope-like tails of these animals. Another theory is that Job 40 describes a type of dinosaur like a diplodocus or Apotosaurus. Such sauropods were the largest of all land animals, ten times heavier than elephants, were marsh-loving plant eaters, had tails like trees, and truly could be called kings of the animals. That's true. It totally could be a dinosaur. Maybe dinosaurs survived in Job's day. I know most scientists certainly wouldn't agree with that. But if you're talking about how old is the book of Job, it was set somewhere between Genesis 11 the Tower of Babel, and Genesis 12, the birth of Abraham. So we're talking about a long, 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 long time ago. Now, that said, a biologist named Dr. Michael Bright has suggested that the biblical description of a tale like a cedar tree could possibly refer more to shape and not necessarily size and power. And thus, a hippo's tail could be a possibility. By the way, if you've never seen a hippo pooping, and I realize how weird that is, do yourself a favor and check out the video that I've got posted or linked on BibleReadingPodcast.com. Um, I'll never forget taking my kids to the zoo one time, and all of a sudden, this hippo starts pooping, and when they poop, they rapidly, and I'm not even making this up, promise, they rapidly spin their tail like a helicopter, and they spray their poop all over the place. Now, this apparently impresses female hippos, and it also sort of helps the male hippo mark his territory. I myself have not personally conducted experiments, but I suspect that this will not work on human females, but feel free to leave a comment on the blog if I'm incorrect in that assertion. And just for you, I'm going to try to play this video to see if you can actually hear the sound of a hippo um, spinning his tail and doing this um, thing that I described. Here we go. 
what other Bible podcast could you possibly get something like that on? And you might think, I'm making a joke, but I I can't watch that without dying. I'm deadly serious. That was a video taken by a family of a hippo doing what it sounded like he was doing. If you've never seen the video, like I said, you got to check it out. The link to it is on BibleReadingPodcast.com. That said, my best guess is to go along with Dr. Bright and agree that the Bible is likely describing a hippo or something very much like a hippo. Aside from the poop thing, they really are these amazing creatures that are literally probably the most dangerous land animal in Africa. Maybe Behemoth was an extinct species of hippo, a recently extinct species of hippo like Hippopotamus Major, which would be a fair amount larger than modern hippos, somewhere north of 10,000 pounds, 14 plus feet long, around 7 feet tall at the shoulder, maybe a more impressive tail. Uh, That's a big, scary creature in my mind, especially if it's super fast. I'm not ready to say mystery solved on that, but I think a slightly larger than today's hippo really fits the description of behemoth pretty well. Well, what about Leviathan? We read about Leviathan in today's Job passage, Job 41 verse 1. Can you pull in Leviathan with a hook or tie his tongue down with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he beg for mercy or speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you so that you can take him as a slave forever? Can you play him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain for him or divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay a hand on him. You will remember the battle and never repeat it. Any hope of capturing him proves false. Does a person not collapse at the very sight of him? No one is ferocious enough to rouse Leviathan. Who then can stand against me? Who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I cannot be silent about his limbs, his power, and his graceful proportions. Who can strip off his outer covering? Who can penetrate his double layer of armor? Who can open his jaws surrounded by those terrifying teeth? His pride is in his rows of scales closely sealed together. One scale is so close to another that no air can pass between them. They are joined to one another so closely connected they can't be separated. His snorting flashes with light and his eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flaming torches shoot from his mouth, fiery sparks fly out, smoke billows from his nostrils as from a boiling pot or burning reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze and flames pour out of his mouth. Strength resides in his neck and dismay dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, solid as metal and immovable. His heart is as hard as a rock, his heart is a lower millstone. When Leviathan rises, the mighty are terrified. They withdraw because of his thrashing. The sword that reaches him will have no effect, nor will a spear, dart, or arrow. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. No arrow can make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. A club is regarded as stubble and he laughs at the sound of a javelin. His undersides are jagged potsherds spreading the mud like a threshing sledge. He makes the depth seethe like a cauldron. He makes the sea like an ointment jar. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had gray hair. He has no equal on earth, a creature devoid of fear. 
He surveys everything that is haughty. He is king over all the proud beasts. So this is a bit more of a formidable beast, it sounds like, than the behemoth, and a bit more difficult to identify as well. The Hebrew word is leviathan, and this creature appears in a couple of different other places in the Old Testament, including Isaiah and Psalms. Isaiah 27.1 says, On that day the Lord, with his relentless large strong sword, will bring judgment on Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent. He will slay the monster that is in the sea. And uh, Psalm 104, 25 and 26, Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships move about, and Leviathan, which you formed to play there. Now the root of the word Leviathan, or Leviathan, comes from a word meaning wreathed or joined together, and maybe that can give the impressions of uh, sort of a long creature with maybe segments or ridges or something like that. And so some speculate that Leviathan was a sea dragon, or perhaps a now extinct species of water dinosaur, or an extinct or undiscovered sea monster of some sort. I don't know what to make of the fire passages. Could that be some sort of divine hyperbole, or could it be a creature we just haven't discovered yet? I'm not sure. Apparently, though, its mouth is very dangerous, and its skin is very hard. Now, given the descriptions in Isaiah 27.1 of a twisting serpent, I think, and again, not knowing what to do with the fire-breathing part, I think something like a saltwater crocodile is at least a possibility. These creatures can reach pretty astounding lengths and sizes even today and possibly could be longer in antiquity. Salties today can grow like 20 feet long and weigh over 2,300 pounds. Nile crocodiles used to kill around a 1,000 people a year. Yes, per year. And even today, they still kill hundreds of people per year, maybe even more than that. So they match the ferocity that is attributed to the Leviathan in this passage. They also have very hard skin and would be extremely difficult for a um, a hunter a few thousand years ago, given the level of metal technology at the time, to produce anything that could per- penetrate the skin of a big, formidable saltwater crocodile. So perhaps it was that, or a now extinct sea creature that is similar to a saltwater crocodile, but we've not found it in the fossil record yet. Perhaps it well, it was some, as well, it was some sort of large, fierce shark-like creature. Uh, Another modern animal that could fit a lot of the biblical description of the Leviathan. Now, I wish I could give a more definitive answer here. I'm pretty strongly team hippo on the behemoth question. But I'm way more open and unsure on Leviathan. What do you think? Why don't you leave a comment at BibleReadingPodcast.com and let me know. And with that, let's go over to Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. You must not spread a false report. Do not join the wicked to be a malicious witness. You must not follow a crowd in wrongdoing. Do not testify in a lawsuit and go along with a crowd to pervert justice. Do not show favoritism to a poor person in his lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you lying helpless under its bed and you want to refrain from helping it, you must help it.
You must not deny justice to a poor person among you in his lawsuit. Stay far away from a false accusation. Do not kill the innocent and the just, because I will not justify the guilty. You must not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and corrupts the words of the righteous. You must not oppress a resident alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be a resident alien because you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. Sow your land for six years and gather its produce. But during the seventh year, you are to let it rest and leave it uncultivated so that the poor among your people may eat from it and the wild animals may consume what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Do your work for six days, but rest on the seventh day so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave as well as the resident alien may be refreshed. Pay special attention to everything I have said to you. You must not invoke the names of other gods. They must not be heard on your lips. Celebrate a festival in my honor three times a year. Observe the festival of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you are to eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, because you came out of Egypt in that month. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Also observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field, and observe the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. Three times a year all your males are to appear before the Lord God. You must not offer the blood of my sacrifices with anything leavened. The fat of my festival offering must not remain until morning. Bring the best of your first fruits of your land to the house of the Lord your God. You must not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him, attentive to him, and listen to him. Do not defy him, because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion, for my name is in him. But if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow in worship to their gods and do not serve them. Do not imitate their practices. Instead, demolish them and smash their sacred pillars to pieces. Serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. I will remove illnesses from you. No woman will miscarry or be childless in your land. I will give you the full number of your days. I will cause the people ahead of you to feel terror and will throw into confusion all the nations you come to. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you and retreat. I will send hornets in front of you and they will drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hethites away from you. I will not drive them out ahead of you in a single year, otherwise the land would become desolate and wild animals would multiply against you. I will drive them out little by little ahead of you until you have become numerous and take possession of the land. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the wilderness to the Euphrates River, for I will place the inhabitants of the land under your control and you will drive them out ahead of you. You must not make a covenant with them or their gods. They must not remain in your land or else they will make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will be a snare for you. John chapter 2, verse 1, On the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. 
Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained twenty or thirty gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw out some and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everybody sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, What sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, This temple took forty-six years to build and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said that, that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name, and when they saw the signs he was doing, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Second Corinthians 11 verse 1 I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband, to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you not accepted it, you put up with it splendidly. Now, I consider myself in no way inferior to those uh, super apostles. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made clear that to you in everything, or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I didn't burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do, but I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no 
great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will be according to their words. Works. I repeat, let no one consider me a fool. But if you do, at least accept me as a fool so that I can also boast a little. What I'm saying in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but as it were, foolishly. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll also boast. For you, being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put it up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone's arrogant towards you, if someone slaps you in the face. I say this to our shame, we've been too weak for that. But in whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly here, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one, with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there's the day Daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, a ruler on, under King Aratas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me, so I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Well, amen, brothers and sisters. I hope that the word of God today and every day to you is edifying and encouraging and fills you with hope in the name and power and person of Jesus. Godspeed.